Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from Dr. Steven Sanders. Dr. Sanders earned his master's degree in pastoral leadership and his doctorate in New Testament studies from Dallas Theological Seminary. He grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, but moved to Atlanta to attend Georgia Tech. Dr. Sanders has been adjunct professor of New Testament and Greek at Criswell College since 2020 and stepped into a full-time faculty role in 2022. He is also adjunct professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Without further ado, Dr. Steven Sanders. How's everybody doing? Ooh, that's loud. <laughs> My head is so big, I have like trouble with this mic. So uh, today I wanted to talk to you about a question and an answer. And this is probably the question that I've been wrestling with, maybe even the most over the last five years or so, if not the most, one of the the central things I wrestle with, uh, both in my own life and also when it comes to the Bible. And so because of that, since I've been thinking about it so long, you would probably think, well, he's thinking about and wrestling about it because he doesn't know the answer. And so it's just like a question without an answer or something like that. But I actually do know the answer. And probably even by this point, you can guess what the answer is. After all, I'm a New Testament professor uh, teaching a Southern Baptist school and we're speaking in chapel and here's this room. So what would you guess the answer is? Or, or more precisely, who do you guess the answer is? Jesus, that's right. That's great. Somebody has been, uh, been to church. Yeah, the answer is going to be Jesus. And so if I know the answer, then maybe I just don't know what the question is. You know, maybe that's why I'm wrestling with this is try to figure out the question. But I actually know the question as well. The question, I ask myself it a lot. And honestly, it's come up. I've been trying to track it back. It's come up at least the last three or four years, at least once in a class somewhere. Uh, this semester, we set the record. The, uh, the, cl- the question got asked about an hour into my semester. I was in uh, marginalized people class, and so that's uh, NT Topics. And in that class, we talk about uh, New Testament passages related to women, um, to, related to slaves, and also related to Jew, Gentile, Samaritan racial issues. And we, we talk about the divisions that Jesus heals in the church. And, and so, as you can tell, uh, a lot of those topics can be controversial for any number of reasons. And so we were talking about how in the class, it's okay to have differences with one another, differences of opinion, um, orthodox, scholarly, you know, conservative, uh, New Testament scholars, they disagree with one another on a lot of these, uh, lot of these topics, and so it's okay to have differences, but what we can't have in that class is we can't have division, 
And so we have to have a way of differing with one another and being able to express our differences and to see each other's perspective, but to do that in such a way that doesn't cause division in the class, that, that we break into, you know, factions in the class and certain people won't talk and, and certain people talk way too much all of a sudden and we get that kind of a class. And so uh, we're, we're getting through with this discussion and Nathan raises his hand and he says, have you actually seen anyone who actually does that? Like they, they differ without causing divisions. And the answer is Jesus. Well, no, but Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Like other than that, no, right? Um, but then I think back and um, last semester, back in the spring, we were in NT backgrounds and we were talking about how the Roman social order uh, really divided people into social tiers and you had people who were well off and people who were dirt poor and you had slaves and, and depending on your social tier, you really just interacted within your social tier and your hope was to move up the chain, but, but really you just knew a lot of people who were like you. And one of the challenges for the early church is people were getting converted from different social tiers or different cultural backgrounds and this pre- presents a challenge for the church and how to incorporate a bunch of people who never interacted all of a sudden to interact in a church setting. And, and Chloe raises her hand and says, well, isn't that what we struggle with today? Like, how do, you, how do you bring people together who are divided in this way into a church context? And there's the question again, right? The answer is Jesus. Um, the, the semester before that, we're talking about Philippians and how there's external persecution for the church in Philippi and how Paul believed in, in his writings here to Philippians that the only way this church is going to survive all of the, this culture that is antagonistic towards them is not necessarily, he would love to spread the gospel to the culture, but it's not that everyone becomes Christians and agrees with the Christians, it's that the Christians agree with one another, that first and foremost they had to have unity within their walls so that they could withstand the attack that's coming from outside. And, and as we're talking about this very early on, Shane's says, well, that's what I struggle sometimes with my own family. You know, we're, we're all believers. It's not that I'm disagreeing with non-believers, but, but how do we differ but not have divisions even in our family? And so this question keeps coming up over and over and over again. Maybe the wording is a little different, but this issue of how as believers do we live in a culture that's heavily divided um, but we, and we differ in certain things, but we still find unity in Christ. What, what does that look like? And I think there are really two reasons that this question keeps coming up for me. One, as I kind of just mentioned, it's a huge theme in the New Testament. That a lot of times we think of the New Testament, we think of justification by faith, or we think of participation in Christ, or we think of all, all of these great truths which are important. But one of the consistent themes throughout most every book of the New Testament is this call to unity. And unity between people who disagree with one another. And sometimes we, we kind of overlook that, but it's all over the New Testament, especially in Paul. But the other reason, which is probably obvious to all of us, is we live in a deeply divided country. And those divisions in the country, they're not abnormal. We expect our country to be divided. But those divisions have found a way to sneak into our churches and they've started to divide our churches. And they not only divide our churches, but sometimes they divide our families. And then sometimes they even divide our classes. In 2018, I was teaching um, an exegesis class, a Greek New Testament exegesis class over at DTS. 
And uh, I was actually a teaching assistant for this particular class, but I was in charge of class for that day, and we were talking about structural layouts, and a structural layout, I'm not going to bore you with this, but it's a, um, it's a grammatical tool so you can see grammatically what the main point Paul's trying to make in a passage is versus what's the secondary points. And you can use this to align, like if you're teaching or preaching, you can align your serv- uh, sermon with the text, which is really helpful because people understand the text better if you can find that alignment. So anyway, I'm working through uh, a passage, and the passage that's just kind of dictated from on high at DTS to do is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And so I'm in the class, and I'm kind of saying, well, this is a main point, and here's a point, and here's a point, and this is how it relates and all. And so I'm kind of translating through, and I get to the point in verse 14, and this is where we're going to be today. So if you're looking to to look ahead, we're going to get to Ephesians 2.14. But I get to Ephesians 2.14, I'm translating. It says, he being Jesus, he himself is our peace, who've made the two one. In this context, the two is Jew and Gentile. Um, And he has done that by destroying the dividing wall of hostility or enmity, this, this wall that divided Jews and Gentiles, Jesus has broken that down. This is what the text says. And so I pause and I just say, and again, this is 2018, I say, it doesn't seem like Jesus really likes walls, does he? And I kind of pause and there's a guy in the second row and he boos me, just straight up, just boo. And I'm kind of like, okay. You know, this is translating here, but okay. So anyway, we had another student in the class in addition to my booer, uh, which to me, I was just happy the guy was awake. So, you know, honestly, it meant he was listening for sure. Um, but we had another student in the class, um, and she was kind of quiet in class, but she also um, was a published author who was actively writing for some pretty famous publications. Um, she wrote for, still does occasionally, for the New York Times. She writes for Christianity Today, Relevant magazine, Christ and pop culture, a number of different things. So um, she published an article about a month later, and I was reading through the article, and then this is how she closed the article. The article in general was about how people will take snippets of the Bible and apply them to social causes today. But anyway, she writes, in one of my seminary classes recently, a teaching assistant, that would be me, was translating Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and made a comment about how Jesus wasn't a fan of walls. A man a few rows ahead of me started booing, and the professor, this is not me, this is Dr. Fanton, um, he asked, are you booing the verse, or what he actually said is, are you booing Jesus, is what he he actually did say. Um, She goes on to say, no one had made a direct comment about immigration policy or President Trump's plan to build a wall along the Mexican border, but the faintest reference to a current event had put the student on the defensive. The comment about Jesus breaking down walls was a true one, pointing to a deeper truth about God's new relationship to humanity because of Christ's work on the cross. But instead of studying how that massively important reality affects the way we think about actual barriers, including walls, in our cultural context, the questions and answers were presupposed. We don't have to study scripture to figure out the right questions when we think we already know the answers. 
And that really said something to me right there. I think she's right on that part of it. We don't have to study scripture to figure out the right questions when we think we already know the answers. She says, we have deep and important truths to gain from scripture, truths that will have a profound impact on all areas of our lives, including consumerism, including lying lips and lustful eyes, including immigration policy, including manipulating another's words for personal gain. But those truths are found by figuring out the right questions falling in love with the entire narrative and meeting the God of the universe in the pages of his word. Now, what I appreciate is she did not use the other student's name. I appreciate that. I also appreciate that she broadened the context a little. But what troubled me at the time, and, and to be fair, I probably get along a little better with her than I do the booer, although I like the booer too pretty good. Um, but what troubled me at the time was that we're talking about a passage about Jesus breaking down walls between people in a seminary class on a master's level, and we have division in the class because of the passage. And see, that's the issue. That's what's troubling. There's no place we can go anymore where we don't have division. There's just no place. And so what I would like to do is just read through the passage. I'm going to make a few really brief um, observations about the passage, and I'll, I'll just tell you kind of where I am on wrestling with the topic right now. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, um, we're going to pick up in verse 14. But the first observation I want to make is Ephesians 2 is about salvation. Now, if you've been around church at all, you probably think of that because you think of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, and Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 in general is about salvation. But so is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. We often talk about 2, 1 through 10, but Paul does something in the text between the two passages where he uses the exact same structure. In 2, 1 through 10, he talks about what we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then he talks about what we are now, which is we are God's creation, um, created to do God's workmanship, created to do good works in Christ Jesus. And in the middle, Jesus changes this. He makes us alive together with Christ. He raises us together with Christ. He seats us in the heavenlies together with Christ. But in 2.11 through 22, he does the same thing. You Gentiles, you were separated from Israel, but what are you now? You are now co-heirs. You're now family members. You're fellow citizens of the kingdom. And how does this happen? Well, the answer is Jesus. And so in 2, 14 through 17, Paul talks about how this, this uh, transition happens. But he's thinking through this in terms of reconciliation and salvation. And so uh, reading the text here, he says, um, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Um, and so I'm going to start there right quick. This is, this is where uh, if you want to boo, you can go ahead and boo. But, um, but Jesus breaks down the wall between uh, enemies. And here we're talking about Jews and Gentiles. And it's talking about their historical hostility. You can read about that in um, First or Second Maccabees. You can read about that in Josephus. Um, these people hated each other and with good reason, I might add. Their ancestors had been at war. They're at war together. They feel completely justified. And here Jesus comes and he breaks down, breaks down the wall between these two groups. But what I'll point out is Jesus is not breaking down walls between friends. He's breaking down walls between enemies. And what that means is there are people who were formerly enemies in the church together 
And the only reason they're in the church together, unified in one body, is because of the work of Jesus. D.A. Carson um, wrote this book, Love in Hard Places, and he said something uh, similar to this uh, in the book. It says, Again, this is uh, Carson speaking uh, or writing. He says, I suspect that one of the reasons why there are so many exhortations in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because that is not an easy thing to do. Ideally, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. And listen to this. In light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing whatever he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. A lot of times the way we get to unity in our church, the way we think about it, or maybe in our families or in our classes, is we're either going to convince everybody else to agree with us first and then they become our friends, and then we have unity. Or we'll just kind of redefine the community so only our friends are in there. Jesus takes neither approach here. There are enemies in the church, and they're willing to get along with each other because Jesus commands it, and they owe Jesus. That's the model for the church. Now, going on, Jesus, uh, uh, Paul makes a purpose, uh, purpose statement. So this purpose statement is the reason why, the purpose for which Jesus broke down the wall here, uh, the, the wall of hostility. Uh, so picking back up in verse 15, it says, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So part of what Jesus is doing at the cross, his purpose in going for the cro- to the cross is not only to reconcile us with God, that is part of it, but also to reconcile us together so that we as a body unified, one new person can be reconciled with God. A lot of times we talk about, and rightfully so, the need for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's absolutely the case. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But he doesn't stop there. Our personal relationship with God is in the context of everybody else's personal relationship with God through Christ as well. And if we are connected to God in a personal relationship, we're also connected with people who we would otherwise be enemies of. And therefore, we have to heal divisions even if we maintain differences in certain ways. Then finally, he, uh, he goes on from here. Um, well, it says, uh, so that Christ might dwell, or, or no, I'm in the wrong. Uh, so it says, uh, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you. He is Jesus. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. See, Jesus, the scope of Jesus' proclamation of peace is not just to the good people or to the near people, it's to all people. But here's the other question. How far off did Jesus ever really travel, right? Does he ever go far beyond Galilee? He doesn't. It seems that what Paul's saying here, especially in the context of where all Paul went, is not people who are geographically far off. That's clearly important. Paul talks about that in a number of places. But when he's talking about Jesus going to people who are far off, where was Jesus when he went to these people? 
He's still basically in Israel somewhere. It's not that he's going to people who are far off. He's going to people across the street. But those people across the street are far off from the kingdom of God. And so they are far off, not geographically, but they are far from God, and he makes peace with them. In our country today, there's us and there's them on all things. It doesn't really matter what the issue is, but there's us, and we're right, and there's them, and they're wrong, and we need to convince them to become us, or we need to just cut them off altogether. Jesus didn't have an us and a them. We were all them, and he took the, uh, the message of peace to us all. And if we are going to be Christ-like, that means we have to take a message of peace to everyone as well. And see, here's the bottom line for this passage. If we do anything, I'll, I'll say myself, if I do anything that causes division, not necessarily differences, but division between myself and another believer, then I'm undoing the work of Christ. I'm undermining the work of Christ because Christ's work is reconciliation and it's making peace. Christ is a peacemaker, and therefore, if I'm going to follow Christ as his disciple, I'm following him into proclaiming peace to all people, no matter if they're us or if they're them. And so there's no way to fight a culture war and then also to proclaim peace. Those are mutually exclusive. So in the end, we have to decide, are we going to continue the work that Christ did or are we going to do something different and redefine who us and them is in our proclamation of peace? One of the things I really like about Criswell is this graduate profile. And honestly, I, I've been adjuncting here. I had not heard this until, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and now I've heard it like four or five times. Um, basically, if you talk to Dr. Cranberry, he's going to say it within five minutes. Um, but, but there's the graduate profile, right? And we hope that Criswell graduates are going to be problem solvers and professionals. But I went to Georgia Tech, and at Georgia Tech, we're all problem solvers. We sing about it in obscene ways during football games we're losing, right? We're engineers. We solve problems, and we're definitely professionals. The whole reason to go to Georgia Tech is so you get a good job professionally, and you make a lot of money, and you feel good about yourself. And so that doesn't make us unique. It's very important to solve problems. It's very important to be professional, um, but that doesn't make us unique. We're also cultivators, and we're also ambassadors, but see, tech would get at that too. They might talk, it's called cultivators innovators in some way to make it more engineering-y. And ambassadors has to do with how you, you know, with international affairs and how you work the system to, to increase your profession. What differentiates us is peacemakers. It's never occurred to Georgia Tech or any other college to try to produce, intentionally produce peacemakers. But see, if we're going to be Christ-like, that's the one thing that's non-negotiable here. That's the one thing there that is essentially Christ-like according to Paul. And so while we're at this place, if our goal together is to become peacemakers, then we have to figure out how to answer this question. And the answer is Jesus, but what does it mean that Jesus made peace? And what does that then mean for us? What are the implications for us when we disagree with someone? What is the implications for us with how we interact both with Christians and non-Christians alike? How do we think through us and them issues in our country? Because that has to be distinctive at Criswell if we're going to be peacemakers. And if we're not going to be peacemakers, we may be something, but we're not Christ-like. Because Christ was a peacemaker, and he made the two one, and he divided, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility. And so the question for our success, I feel like, even this semester, is in our classes, 
It's not do we all agree with everyone. That would just make us friends. It's when we do disagree with one another, do we still make peace? Do we heal those divisions? In our families, even in our family, with our family members who are also believers, or maybe our family members who aren't believers, but sometimes it's harder with the believers because they should know better, right? How do we make peace? What happens at Thanksgiving? What happens at Christmas? How do you make peace? And then most of all in our churches, our churches are divided, you guys. There's something wrong here because when Christ saves us, he saves us together with a community that's reconciled together to God. This is the problem we need to be wrestling with. This is the question we need to answer. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for this time. I, I pray that for all of us, not necessarily that we know the answer, but I do hope we know the answer. But even more than that, that we would wrestle with the question so that we would better know the answer. We would better appreciate who Jesus is, what he's doing, what he's trying to do, what his purposes are. And so I, I pray for all of us. I pray for me specifically because I'm so bad at this. Um, but I pray that there would be a way um, that we would all be slow to argue, slow to anger, quick to listen, and not just listen to convince someone of um, how they're wrong, but, but to be changed and to grow and to first and foremost, the one thing necessary is to follow Christ and to follow him in his peacemaking ministry. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.